only hope is Christ and what He has done. And I, uh, I'm thankful for the living hope that's in each of you if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And um, I pray that we continue to express that hope, to live it out in our world in the ways that God uh, has, in the places God has, has put us. And uh, I'm just encouraged by all of this. I mean, the, this mural back here was our little pre-K class, and um, I don't know, they're better than I am on a lot of that artwork. So uh, my hands may be bigger. I didn't get my hands in on that. Becky didn't, Becky didn't get me in there on the so. I'm not what? I'm not old enough. Okay, all right. Well, definitely feeling old enough. Okay, um, so we uh, we come to. I mean, I, I I feel like I'm saying this every week about Galatians, um, and it, it it's a reminder to me of how formative this book is to our faith and the and the things that we learn and how God is at work in it and through it uh, in our lives. How much we have in store for uh, for us as we really just desire to live out His word. Galatians 5, for me personally, is one of the most formative passages uh, in the entirety of the scriptures. Um, I learned so much about freedom, and then as you get into the end of it, you see the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so many of those things are things that we have dwelt on and study through the years. And as I was looking at this passage, I'm only going to spend a couple of weeks here. We're going to do the first half today and the next half next week. And we really, especially as you get into the, uh, the last half of this chapter, we could spend probably six months there. So as we dive into this today, realize that this is really just a, a picture of the, the, the helicopter view of what Paul is describing to us as the fulfillment of the law and how that's supposed to be at work in our lives as we allow the Spirit to be at work in, in us. And as we look at God's Word, realize that every time you look at it, God is doing something new in you. God is changing you, as, as, as Paul was sharing earlier about the, uh, the work of the Spirit, how the Spirit never changes, how God is the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fact is, is that He is at work in us to change us to become more like Him. And so that is a continual process, and that is something that we are going to be enduring and, and going through our entire lives. Or else, and God is still at work in you, or else you wouldn't still be here. You have it, things that need to be purified, that need to be cleansed, that things that, that God is doing in you that are different than the things He did yesterday. And the ways he's at work in your life now will be different than the ways he's in your work in your life a year from now, or even a month from now, or even next week. God is always transforming us, guiding us, and we have to adjust to him. In our world, we really want God to be created in our image. We want to change God and his law, and his requirements, and his expectations, and his work in us. When that makes no practical sense if we understand who the God of Scripture is. He is the one who continues to be at work in us, and we must realize that 
we are the ones that are changed by him. So uh, even as we see technology change, even as we see uh, our lives lived out differently, uh, perhaps, than they were in the past, remember as we come back to a book like Ecclesiastes, and I'm planning my month vacation next month to really dive into some text about that, just on personal devotional stuff, God never changes. And there is nothing new under the sun. We want to say that there is a new way of looking at things and a new way of doing things, but God is still the same. We have to adjust to him. And now as we look at this passage, verse 1, verse 13 are ones that I have memorized as a, as a growing Christian. And we, we see this word freedom, or in, in your translation it may come out as the word liberty. However it is translated, it is a word that in, in the American lexicon, we view a certain way. But according to the Bible, we must realize that we have a different kind of freedom as citizens of the kingdom, citizens of Christ. So we're going to read the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5. Hopefully I'll get through most of them, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. We, we could dive into some of the rest of them next week. But that would prolong our stay. So let's stand as we read through the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For, for through the Spirit, by faith, we, eager, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For the, who, through love serve, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Our Lord, this is a tough passage. It has remarkable things that we like to quote, and some other things that we'd like to forget. Um, help us to put it all together and to walk according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Paul is not one to mince words, <laughs> right? Uh, he, he's got some issues with some of the things that have been taught and some of the expectations that have been laid on the church in Galatia. And remember, we come back to these people that history has called the Judaizers, those who would expect 
somebody to become a Jew first, then to become a Christian. That you must yourself fulfill the law in order to receive grace. And the problem there is, Christ is the only one who can fulfill the law. We cannot in ourselves do everything that is required in it. The plan from the start, as we looked in the previous passages in Galatians, has always been about trusting the Lord and his plan. It's been about belief. It's been about faith. Abram, Abraham was justified by faith. David trusted the Lord. Jesus fulfilled the law. And he understood how the law worked. He was tempted far beyond anything we could ever bear, anything that we could ever think possible. Because if anybody could just get over it, it should be Jesus. He should just be able to deal with that sin and get past it. But he had fully uh, taken on flesh and had to conquer that flesh in order that we would have the righteous sacrifice that we see on the cross. And so Jesus himself fulfills that law. Now Paul is dealing with a group of believers who they had the gospel, as he said, preached by him in pure form. That salvation came by grace alone through faith. By trusting Christ's completed work on the cross for their salvation. And then they had people come in later who had some different ideas. And, you know, sometimes bringing in a different idea can help change your perspective. In this case, it was tripping them up. And it hindered and it hurt and it even killed their evangelistic fervor in reaching the lost for Christ. Because they began preaching that you first must fulfill the law in order to receive salvation. And again, we come back to it, is if we were able to fulfill the law, Christ would never have been, had to come. We cannot do it. There's going to be something that happens every day that shows our sin nature. We are sinners just in how we breathe. We end up bibbing, and that is one way, I mean, that is just one sin that will take down the whole ship. That'll break down our entire lives. Uh, when you start talking about the law, we must realize that we're not talking about an individual law like don't kill or don't commit adultery or, or anything like that. We're speaking of the entirety of the law of God that we find in the first five books of the Bible. And when we feel like we are fulfilling one piece of it, and, you know, maybe this one isn't that, and then we start, we start making it our own work. Think about if you are speeding, and I saw this illustration along the way, I think it was Warren Wearsby that I was reading through. If you get pulled over for speeding, especially maybe in a school zone, first of all, you're in trouble then. But imagine if there's a police officer there, you've been pulled over, and, and they say, do you know what you were doing? Said, well, yeah, I was speeding, but it's not like I killed anybody. It's not like, you know, 
this or that. It, let's, let's compare the problem. No, you are then accountable to the entirety of the penalty that comes by breaking the law. Now, every one of those laws individually might have a different penalty. You might just have to pay a fine. It'll have a significant fine if you were speeding in a school zone or wherever it might have been. But the fact is, is that if you break one law, you are in violation of the entire law. You are accountable to the whole book of the law. And if you want to contest it, you've got to go to the same court that deals with all of the rest of the laws. If you're going to challenge that speeding ticket. We are accountable to the entire law if we take one thing here. And so that's what Paul is telling them here as he starts talking about something like circumcision. And when he uses this word circumcision in the first part of the passage, he's really just speaking of the laws itself. That this is the sign that we are obedient to God. So we'll come back and come back to verse one here, this transitional verse in a moment. But it says, look, if it, look, I, Paul, in verse two says, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage of you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated then to keep the whole law. So if you do this one thing, then you are accountable to all of it. And that was the problem that had already been solved in Christ. Okay? So we might as well just put Christ back up on the cross. Now, Again, these formative verses that come across the way, if you turn back just one page, we see that in Christ, we are one with him. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for me. So we, in Christ, are crucified. Our own flesh is with him so that we find that same new life, that same resurrection in Christ. All of us went to the cross. All of our sins went to the cross with Christ. He was crucified for the sin of the world. And that word is singular, sin, because it's a state of existence. It's not just the individual actions. It's where we are. Does that make sense? We are sinners in ourselves. We are found to be saints by faith in Jesus Christ. So, we have to keep the whole law if we submit ourselves to one piece of it. You know, what does that mean? That that one piece of the law is the thing that is going to save us. It's like saying, if I obey the speed limit, then I can be exempt from all the rest of the laws. I can do whatever I want to anywhere else as long as I do this one thing. No, that's not the way it works. It's, it's a... It's a it's the fact that we are accountable to the entirety of it. And Christ fulfills it. So if we want to receive one thing as a requirement then for salvation, then we have to do all of it in return. You are severed from Christ. It says, you who would be justified the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness in Christ. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now, I want to come back now to verse 1 and verse 13 in the midst of that. Because by the law, we are bound to its consequences. 
if we break it, we are bound to the punishments that go with it. Now, it may not sound like that big of a deal, but I encourage you, if you get confused by any of that, I go back to read Numbers and Leviticus. Because there's a lot to do with fulfilling that penalty when we break the law. What it comes down to it, though, Christ, being the righteous sacrifice, became sin so that we would become righteousness in him, as Paul says in other places, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are his righteousness because of what his completed work has done for us. So, in Christ, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It doesn't count for anything. It's faith working through love. It brings us that freedom that he talks about in that transitional verse 1 here. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. That seems a little redundant, right? <laughs> what? It's for freedom's sake that we've been set free? Yeah. Because until you receive that gift of salvation, you are bound to try to prove it yourself. That's when he talks about being a slave to the law or a bond servant, maybe in another translation you read. You are bound to it. You have to work it out. You have to prove yourself worthy of being saved. Now, Paul does say in other places that because we are saved, we should act in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that those actions save us. It's an effect of being saved. And, and so when we are called to this freedom, we, it means that there is nothing that we can do personally that will save us. It is only the completed work of Christ on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. That freedom that comes then is real freedom. It's a, like a burden is entirely lifted. And I, and I think about how many of you have ever started a new job? Okay, I can tell a lot of you are really not awake. If you've had a job, you've started a new job. And I remember in my teaching career, I, I only lasted two or three years in each of the schools I went to. I, I remember, though, every school year, you got to think about, okay, what am I going to do differently because of what I learned last year? Right? How am I going to start the year so that I don't see the same kind of issues I ran into at the end of the year? And that's really the kind of thing that Paul is drawing us back to here, is that in Christ, we receive a new start, really, each day. Each day that you wake up, you have a new chance to bless the Lord. His graces have been renewed upon your life. And you have freedom because you are not bound to do all of these things in order to prove your salvation to show God that you are somehow worthy to be accepted by Him because Christ has already given that to you. So, think about that change in perspective. If each day, if each moment is another gift to show His love, how, how can that change your behavior? You might you have a few burdens taken off your shoulders. You get the moments that are before you as a chance to show Christ's great love for the world. And that freedom comes from the fact that we don't have to fulfill the law. Christ has already done it.
coming to verse 13, the calling that is placed on our lives is significant. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, in this freedom, you can do whatever you want to do. Right? That's kind of what the word implies. But there are things that probably wouldn't be wise to do. Let's just say that you uh, end up parking your car in a significant pothole. Does that ever have that threat in Pueblo? Just think, if you get stuck in the hole and somebody comes and pulls you out of it, you're rescued. But your path requires that you go down that same road every day. Are you going to take exactly the same tire line you took last time? Hope not. <laughs> right? Hopefully they filled it in. But that's, this is, this is Pueblo. All right? So, you know, you still have this big pothole here. You're going to do your best to avoid that problem. Right? You don't want to go through that again. So when we have been called to freedom, God says, I've pulled you out of the sin. I've pulled you out of the law. I've redeemed your life in Jesus Christ. Now you have freedom to do what I want you to do, and that is to love one another. Where does it say that? Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Now, it's a whole line of words. The translation of it is one command, one rule, whatever it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where do we find that? I was talking about it with Caitlin this morning. Matthew chapter 22. What does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to the Pharisees when they try to trap him? They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. He gives them a bonus. To love your neighbor as yourself. The fulfillment of what Christ does for us is that we would love one another. Now, there are consequences when we choose to do something else with that. And that's where we're going to come through in verses 7 through 12. Because it gets a little uh, uncomfortable in this passage. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's bringing actually an accusation to an individual here. But in most places where Paul, now if Paul does bring out somebody's name, you know they're a real big issue, right? But most of the time, he's, he brings it out like this. He says, who did it to you? Probably desiring that that conviction would fall on that person by the work of the Holy Spirit rather than the, you know, the, the verbal condemnation that might fall in this kind of place. Well, if Joe just hadn't taught you that, no, that's not what we're talking about here. I picked Joe because I don't think there's anybody named Joe in here. Well, there is a Joe, but not the Joe I'm thinking of. All right, so, um, see, I already got myself in trouble. All right, I'm going to hear about that one later. If you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is not from Christ. Christ calls us to freedom. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now think about that. It may not make for very good bread just having a little bit of leaven. You might have to right, have the perfect amount to get that bread to rise like it's supposed to. 
but it doesn't make it doesn't take much to go through the entire loaf, right? Jesus uses the picture of leaven as sin. A little bit of sin goes through every part of your being. The wage of sin is death. I like can't just stop there. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. So if you want to have a little bit of the law in order to be saved, well then you've just invalidated everything else that happened for you on the cross. I have confidence that the Lord will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circum- circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's playing the, arg- the, the legal argument here. Now, remember who he's writing. He's writing to the Galatians. The Galatians are in Asia Minor. They are Greeks. They are people who are Gentiles by their faith. They are people who have come out of idol worship. Now, one of the idols in that area was uh, a, a goddess named Sybil. And one of the requirements for those who were, uh, and actually I might not be saying it correctly, it's C-Y-B-E-L-E, Sibeli, Sibeli, anyway. anyway um, it's, it, it, one of the requirements in this particu- from this particular deity, quote-unquote, uh, was the emasculation of male children. So Paul brings this picture here of their culture. And he says, well, don't just stop at circumcision, which you probably know what that is. Go the whole way and become just like these Gentiles. You see where this picture breaks down it, it, as, the Gentile, as, the, as the Galatians try to defend themselves for returning to the law? He's saying that if you follow this law, you might as well do all this other stuff too. And it's a, it's a, it brings to, to mind, it reminds us that we genuinely are free from a very significant problem. That we cannot do this ourselves. Christ lifts us from the miry pits and brings us to a place of restoration. He calls us back to him. For you were called to freedom, in verse 13. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. That's how we prove that Christ is, Christ is our Savior. That's not something that saves us. It's something that we do because we are loved. Are you with me? I know it's a little muggy in here and that we just started doing this. Thing. I can turn the fans up if I need to. Okay. The cooler's already blown. I can feel on it. This is not something that we can accomplish ourselves. It is something we do because we have received love and forgiveness. We are free to bless Christ. Because he is the fulfillment of it. And there's a warning at the closing here because of the conflict that is at work in this community, in these churches. The law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can get a picture of how they were treating each other here. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When we start placing unrealistic expectations on each other in a legalistic manner, that's the result. We are called to love. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a high bar. That bar is Christ. And we are to live in a way that blesses Him. And He he turns the corner here, and we'll look at that passage next week when He starts talking about the things that you need to get out of your life if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, we must live our lives empowered by His Spirit to fulfill His law that is love. And when you love somebody, you're going to be gracious with them. You're going to realize that you have as many faults as they do. That maybe, yeah, we need to make some improvements in certain ways. But it's something that we can do together. And that's what life in the family is about. Now, you start making rules that are unreasonable, you see what happens in verse 15. Begin to bite and devour one another. Pretty vivid imagery in the first half of chapter 5, right? So, do you today find yourself under the burden of trying to follow all the rules just the right way? think that somehow you can make yourself worthy of what Jesus has already done? Or have you received the gift that is the freedom of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? Because if we bind ourselves to trying to follow a whole bunch of rules in order to be accepted by Christ, we're no better than what Paul is dealing with here at the Galatians. brass tacks of it is that God loves you. He loves me. And He loves you where you are. He loves you as who you are. And it is His Spirit, as we will see in the continuance of this passage, His Spirit at work in us that will bring those changes to our hearts and to our lives. Have you received the forgiveness that comes by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the freedom from being bound to the slavery that is the law and the sin that entangles us and drags us down? Have you trusted Christ today? Let's pray. Our Lord, you are so good to us. I thank you for your mercies. I thank you for your love and your peace and your your uh, your faithfulness to us. 